0: I'm Perry, and you're listening to The Beauty Brains. Hello, and welcome to The Beauty Brains, a show where real... Cosmetic chemists answer your beauty product questions and give you an insider's look at the cosmetic industry. This is episode 207. I'm your host, Perry Romanowski, and with me today, my co-host and most traveled cosmetic chemist in the industry, Valerie George. Valerie, you at home right now?
1: Hey, Perry. I am home in LA, finally.
0: Uh-huh. All right. Well, Valerie, on today's program, we are going to talk about a couple of beauty industry news stories and then answer your questions about whether an expensive skin serum is worth the money even when it's produced by a pharmaceutical company whether hot water is more damaging than hot styling devices to your hair if nutrition pads can work to deliver actives whether a shampoo or conditioner ingredient can make your hair grow faster and finally if there is a bar shampoo or bar conditioner that works as well as the stuff out of the bottle But before we get to that, why don't we have some of that famous inane chit-chat that we always have. How's it going, Valerie?
1: I'm okay battling a cold.
0: Oh, sorry to hear that. Hey, some news, Valerie, I'm coming to L.A. on January 31st.
1: Oh, how exciting.
0: Yeah, maybe we can do an Instagram story or something uh, over that weekend, if if I even see you. Or or maybe we could have like a Beauty Brains meetup somewhere in LA for people who might be around.
1: Yeah, well, I, I think we can definitely do that. Uh, of course, uh, I know you're coming into town on a Friday night. You're going to be here for uh, Green Beauty Night by the Eco Well in LA on Saturday, February 1st. Uh, maybe we could do... A little get together at a hotel bar or something like that. If any of our Beauty Brains fans live in LA and want to come meet us,
0: oh, absolutely! Yeah, my evening will be free on both of those nights. So, well, we'll work out the details and let everybody know, right?
1: Yeah, we'll have to see. Uh, driving around LA on a Friday night is like m- murder. So oh. it's awful. It's absolutely awful. So I'll I'll toy with what part of town we can connect in, and maybe we'll just do an Instagram live
0: yeah well we could just uh take public transportation there right
1: yeah that doesn't really it exists in la it's like a car city
0: oh oh i get it all right yeah and i
1: promise i won't be contagious by then well we have a big show today can't wait to get started
0: yeah let's uh let's hop on to some beauty science news
1: what did you see this week
0: Well, uh, Valerie, uh, you know, there's always lots in the news, but one of the ones that caught my eye was this 1,4-dioxane ban in New York.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh,
0: This was uh, in a few places, but I saw an article kind of describing what happened in Chemical and Engineering News, C-N-E-N. According to Chemical and Engineering News, the New York state uh, legislation has passed a law that will limit 1,4-dioxane in cosmetics To 10 parts per million by 2022.
1: Even worse than that, Perry.
0: What's worse? Even lower. After,
1: yeah, even lower.
0: Oh, so after 2023, it goes down, what, to two parts per million? Exactly. Well, so what's this all about? 1,4-dioxane is a not an ingredient people put in cosmetics on purpose. What it is is a contamination, I guess, or a residual from the a reaction to create some of the raw materials, specifically ethoxylated materials like sodium loreth sulfate. Um, and what the, the problem is that 1,4-dioxane has been implicated in as being a carcinogen. And so you'll see these NGOs will complain about 1,4-dioxane being a carcinogen and cosmetics are carcinogenic. And, of course, the amount that's in cosmetics is minuscule or at least really low, and there's never really been a concern about it as far as safety goes until now. Now this uh, legislation is getting passed, and it looks like this could significantly impact Uh, formulations like shampoos, body washes, and products like that?
1: Yeah, so 1,4-dioxane, as Perry mentioned, is an impurity in the ethoxylation process of surfactants or emulsifiers. And they usually, they being the manufacturer, when they're uh, manufacturing these ingredients, they vacuum strip the 1,4-dioxane off at the very end to lower the content of it vacuum stripping means that 1,4-dioxane is a volatile compound and uh they they sell it to you and kind of worldwide the national the international level that's accepted is about 10 parts per million that's globally what is agreed upon 1,4-dioxane is on proposition 65 which is that regulation in California that says basically if you have this in your product in the state of California, it's known to cause cancer. But the thing about 1,4-dioxane is there's actually a safe harbor limit, meaning there is a dose at which under that dose, 1,4-dioxane is considered safe. And that's 70 parts per million exposure every day for 70 years, and then one in X amount of people uh, may have cancer or something like that. It's, it's a pretty low number. So the risk of being exposed to 1,4-dioxane in your product products and having any adverse health effect is extremely low.
0: Yeah, and I was looking. Uh, it turns out that there is an organization called the Citizens Campaign for the Environment, and they went through and they tested a bunch of products that are on market for 1,4-dioxane levels. Now, they posted everything in parts per billion, but I was looking at, and you know, most shampoos that they listed were already under 10 parts per million of this. For example, uh, Suave Body Wash was at 2 parts per million. Um, Pantene uh, Shampoo was at 5 parts per, per, billion, per million. Uh, so it looks like a lot of formulas are already that low, so maybe this legislation isn't going to have much impact on those. Although, when they get down to like one parts per million, then that will be a problem.
1: Yeah, my, my challenge with this legislation is that they created it because they found 1,4-dioxane uh, in the environment, which tells me that it's not coming from cosmetic products because of the uh, volatility. But I read somewhere and even speaking with uh industry people in the manufacturing sector that it came from poor waste disposal practices from manufacturers of ingredients. So I actually wrote a letter to Governor Cuomo.
0: Oh, look at you being I all did political yeah. and all, yeah. Because
1: I think I think two is really strict and it's not just shampoos, it's any ethoxylated uh, product and the global standard is 10 parts per million. So why don't we uh, start with 10 since there was no existing uh, legislation and see if that restriction provides any improvement. And if it does, let's restrict further. I'm I'm all for regulation if it makes sense. Uh, but to me, this one just did not make sense at all in in terms of the chemistry. But uh, nonetheless, it passed. It was signed in and. You know, while many of the products on the market are already compliant, a lot of them are not going to be compliant for the two parts per million. And it's just—it's very expensive uh, to use uh, ethoxylated materials that are that get your product down to two or lower. And additionally, it's—it's uh, it's a lot of testing. It's a lot of money in testing. It can be done. I just don't know that it's going to provide an improvement to the environment. Furthermore. I just don't like that uh, the cosmetics industry tends to be targeted and vilified with this. The household and industrial chemical industry is virtually unregulated in the purities of materials that they can use. And I would bet that they are the biggest perpetrators of 1,4-dioxane if they really are the cause, uh, you know, or if products washing down the drain could be the cause of 1,4-dioxane. Again, it's a volatile compound. Uh, I would I would guess that it would come from there versus shampoos and body washes, but I don't know. We'll see. I, it's good job security. I just I was really right. frustrated that there wasn't a staged approach in let's get it to here, measure an improvement, and see if that's the right approach. I just don't think it is.
0: Yeah, for cosmetic formulators, hey, we get to reformulate stuff. For consumers, your products are probably going to cost more, or they're not going to work as well because one strategy would be to just dilute water in there so it uses less detergent, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Or you, you swap it out for a detergent that doesn't have 1,4-dioxane uh, in it and doesn't work as well.
1: Yeah, and typically the ethoxylation process of sodium lauryl sulfate turning it into sodium laureth sulfate makes it more milder. So right. maybe some brands will just switch it out for sodium lauryl sulfate and that's a more aggressive detergent.
0: So Your products could just be more irritating too. So there you go. That's what we got to look forward to. We'll see if uh, anything changes by 2022.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, if you follow me on my own personal social media accounts, you know that I I was a little floored this week to see a little piece. I don't want to call it news, but just something that kind of made the headlines. Uh, (laughs) That's kind of news, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Gwyneth Paltrow, the main proprietor at Goop, is selling a candle that she felt like when she smelled it, smelled like her vagina.
0: It's, oh, my.
1: <laughs> yeah. So the candle is by a company called Heretic, and it's titled This Smells Like My Vagina. And I will read some of the notes from the website. This candle is made with geranium, citrusy bergamot, and cedar absolutes juxtaposed with damask rose and ambret seed to put us in mind a fantasy, seduction, and a sophisticated warmth.
0: Wow. That's uh, quite some poetry there.
1: <laughs> yeah I um you know, I live just down the street from a goop store. I haven't gone to smell it yet. I don't know if they have it in stock, but it's interesting, right
0: uh, yeah, it's uh yeah interesting i I just was that a a flavor people are gonna wanna have in their house I don't, like well I think I it's get... kind of
1: a novelty, of course, I mean those notes sound really interesting, obviously, I don't think it. Smells like a typical vagina. I don't know. Uh, but <laughs> I, I, I do know a couple people on social media uh, messaged me and said they actually had the candle, which uh, I hope they really like it at a cost of $75, which is
0: pretty expensive. <laughs> I hope Wait, it, a $75 candle?
1: Yeah, $75. Wow. Actually, do you know what's interesting? Uh, usually when you buy a candle, uh, it it get, provides you information about how many burn hours that you get out of it, and the Goop website doesn't provide that information. so. Hmm. I wouldn't buy it based on not knowing how many burn hours I get out of it.
0: <laughs> I, I must be out of the candle buying loop. I've never heard of the burn hour thing.
1: Yeah. I mean, does this can, candle, does it diminish in two hours, 10 hours, 30 hours? You know, that's a big difference to justify the price.
0: Well, uh, she seems to be using her vagina to sell a lot of stuff there. <laughs> so,
1: yeah. Well, speaking of her be. vagina, so... Uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but Goop also has her own Netflix series called Goop Lab, and it, it's just a pile of awfulness. You know, we we really live in a world where celebrities have this incredible platform, and they just use it to spread nonsense, and the, it really harms people. It it can really lead to harm. So she has a show named Goop Lab, and I was driving down Wilshire Boulevard, or no, Santa Monica Boulevard, and I saw this uh, billboard advertising her show, and I was like, is she standing in a cartoon vagina? <laughs> and I, I put it on social media. Uh, you can go to my Twitter account. I'm at the LA Hobo on Twitter. You can see the photo. And pretty much everyone was like, yeah, you didn't know. And I was like, well, I just didn't know if I was being perverse because of her candle or whatnot. But no, it turns out the general consensus is uh, she's so full of herself uh, and obviously thinks she, her vagina is incredible that uh, she... She's standing in a cartoon vagina for this billboard.
0: Huh. Well, that's quite amazing. You know, I did, uh, I did, I was on the same show with her one time. Oh, you were? I was on the Dr. Oz show when she was one of the special guests.
1: You were the only non quack to appear that day.
0: (laughs) That's right. Now, the interesting thing is when she was walking in the hallway, she was like surrounded by four bodyguards. So we passed in the hallway, but she didn't you couldn't even say hello like usually when i was on that show i could see the other people who were on the show but hers she was kind of uh she was kind of blocked but <laughs> apparently she's uh leveraged that into this whole new goop brand yeah you know that timothy caulfield show the uh something about secret to cheating death or something yeah. that was a netflix show and they um, took it
1: off they took it off you can no longer watch it on there
0: right and they took it off specifically the goop i've heard specifically the goop people asked them to remove it
1: they probably did she she's very powerful gwyneth man
0: well he's also the guy who wrote the book gwyneth paltrow is wrong about everything so that
1: (laughs) i mean he's not wrong
0: All right, let's talk about uh, a little social media scuttlebutt that we have. Uh, Valerie and I have this uh, feature that we have on Instagram called Change My View. It's the Change My View series uh, that you can find on the Beauty Brain Instagram account. Incidentally, you can also follow us on the Beauty Brains 2018 on Instagram. So here is what Change My View is all about. There's this Reddit thing that I saw called Change My View, and it was all about you put up some opinion that you have or some belief that you have, and you challenge people to uh, change it and change your mind by providing you with, I don't know, scientific research or other ideas that you might not have had. And so I thought this would be great for a lot of things that I think or that Valerie thinks about beauty products. And so we put up one This week, And to tell you the truth, uh, Valerie and I might not always agree on all of these. Um, So often these are uh, change Perry's view, or sometimes they could be changed Valerie's view, I guess.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so I mean, Perry and I may disagree on on some of the items, but who knows, like maybe even my opinion could be changed in seeing some of the the feedback that's generated either towards Perry's view or towards another view.
0: Yeah, it's a hallmark of a scientist is that you should never hold beliefs about anything that are steadfast and never changing. You should always be open to the idea that new evidence could change your view. And so that's what the Change My View series is all about. All right, so this week I put the claim out there that diet does not affect acne. I think it's a common belief of people that if you eat chocolate or you drink milk or have high glycemic index foods, uh, that can somehow cause you to have acne. And I'm, uh, somehow I'm very skeptical of this, uh, the connection, direct connection between eating something and having a breakout. It's always seemed more anecdotal to me. So I threw that out there and we got a number of responses. Actually, we had like 80 something comments or something on it. It was, it was a lot. I spent a lot more hours than I should have, uh, (laughs) looking at and responding to these but it was fun so let's let's take a look at it there were a number of people who of course offered up anecdotal evidence that the diet definitely affects their acne now i'm not even disputing that although it's hard to establish cause and effect you know i had a pizza yesterday and i'm got acne today that both of those might be true and they might not be related right Also, just because something affects a specific person doesn't mean that it's generally applicable. And that was kind of the initial claim. That's what it really was about. I'm saying in general, your diet does not significantly impact acne. I'm not saying it's not a factor and that it's not a direct factor for individuals. I'm just saying that for people in general, what you eat is not really a main cause of acne. Now there were some people who offered up scientific evidence uh, for a link one was a link to the american academy of dermatology which summarized the findings and they said the research shows that there might be a link between foods with high glycemic index and acne but there weren't a lot of good studies that they listed for that i i didn't find the studies convincing they also concluded that while these findings show that following a low glycemic index diet can lead to fewer breakouts other studies have found no connection between a high glycemic diet and acne so certainly the results are mixed and they said more research is needed to know for sure so as far as high glycemic index goes you certainly can't forcefully say that yes definitely there's a connection maybe there is maybe not i wasn't convinced All right, there were also a couple of papers that talked about the link between dairy and acne. And the best were being a couple of review papers. One was a meta-analysis of dairy intake and acne published in the Journal of Clinical Nutrition. And their conclusion was that they found a positive relationship between dairy, total milk, whole milk, low-fat, and skim milk consumption and acne occurrence. But in contrary, no significant association between yogurt and cheese Uh, eating was and acne development was observed by them. So that was interesting because the strange part is that there was another meta-analysis published in the journal Nutrients that found that any dairy such as yogurt, milk, and cheese were associated with an increase or at least an increased chance uh, uh, for acne. Uh, So the claims in the second meta-analysis found a much weaker association between dietary intake, and acne. So now we have two meta-analysis and studies, that, and they both kind of come to a different conclusion, which is strange. So it seems like there may be some increased risk of acne when consuming dairy, although it seemed pretty weak to me. And for high glycemic uh, index food, there is an association, but it's even weaker. And all the research said was that more research is required to establish a link. So I, for one, remained still a bit unconvinced. There may be some link to acne and diet, but there certainly isn't a really strong one to be certain.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. There are so many studies online, and there seems to be this dichotomy between the two two thoughts that, yes, diet does impact acne, and no, diet does not. And really, both parties say, more research needs to be done. It, it's so complex. And because everyone has some sort of different response to food metabolism, uh, really it, it's hard to be conclusive. And that was something interesting that I learned, um, in the papers was that at one point in history, we thought there was a link. And then at another point in history, we said, no, there's not a link. And then now people are saying, well, we need to rethink the link, but There still is no evidence on either side that uh, there is a a correlation or a causation. So I think more to come, but definitely a lot of research is being poured into this. The anti-acne market is a huge one, and I I don't think it's that people aren't doing the research. I think that this is just a really complex topic, so it'll be really interesting uh, to see how this unfolds over the next few decades
0: yeah, now, thanks to everyone who participated in the discussion. I really enjoyed doing a deep dive into the studies looking at that. I my mind really wasn't changed that much. and if you're out there eating french fries, feel free to. It's probably not causing acne.
1: Yeah, but also, I, I mean, you know you know your body the best. I will play devil ab- devil's advocate here if if you feel that your skin does change uh, when you eat a certain food or you do a certain thing, you know your body the best good for you uh just avoid that but that doesn't mean it's applicable to everyone
0: i absolutely agree with that all right let's move on to some questions valerie why don't you take the first one
1: all right we had a question come in does hot water damage hair more than hot styling devices well if one is just considering heat is the mechanism of damage The heat from hot water will not damage hair as much as heat from a styling iron. Hot water from the tap in your bathtub maybe runs about 140 degrees Fahrenheit, maybe less, while the heat from a thermal styling iron can get as hot as 450 degrees Fahrenheit, which I think is really crazy. Um, Wow. I only put my iron to 400. I'm just (laughs) just (laughs) kidding. Not kidding. Have, uh, that's is there like nut. a little
0: dial on there or something where you can set the temperature?
1: Well, it depends on the iron. Some have a a, a digital put readout and you can uh, hit the plus sign and get to the temperature that you want. Uh, some just have like on or off. It uh, really just depends on the iron that you have and the technology it's using, but- Yeah, I I even saw an iron one time that advertised it goes up to 500 degrees Fahrenheit, and I was like, that is crazy, Uh, because all of this, even 450 degrees, is hotter than the temperature at which hair denatures or melts, so...
0: Well, you can use those products to uh, not only do your hair, but also toast your bread. (laughs) Yeah,
1: (laughs) yeah. So uh, hair does start to denature and melt uh, just above 400 degrees Fahrenheit, so... Uh, When you put the iron on the hair uh, or near the hair and it's super hot, it starts to heat up the hair shaft and the proteins and the crystalline or bound water in the hair uh, start to absorb the heat and uh, take that on. The water that's in the hair is converted to a gas, which is steam, and the proteins uh, start to denature and lose their intrinsic shape. The steam builds up, it has nowhere to go in the hair, and then eventually it finds a weak spot in the hair where you've likely had some previous hair damage, and it just explodes out of the hair, causing uh, hair damage. Typically, before So you have
0: the... like a blowout then. <laughs>
1: Ex- <laughs> Not that kind of blowout you want, but yeah, <laughs> the, the cuticle literally explodes open. Yeah. Oftentimes you can see uh, cracks and fissures if you look at the hair under a scanning electron microscope, or even kind of like a blister, but it's really just the cuticle bubbling open and it hasn't um, exploded yet. So I would say for sure hot styling devices have the greater propensity to damage the hair fiber just based on the amount of heat uh, on the hair, regardless of contact time. Now, if you ignore temperature from the equation and you look at water, water by itself is also really damaging for the hair. The fibers swell in the presence of water, which then lifts up the cuticle. And then when the hair dries, the water goes out of the hair and back into the atmosphere. The cuticles don't necessarily lie perfectly flat. Again, and Repeatedly getting your hair wet, even just by nature of showering or bathing or humidity, uh, will lead to damage over time. Additionally, some water soluble components in the hair, like hair color, artificial hair color, uh, can dissolve out of the hair. So I would say that thermal styling, because of the nature to which we heat our tools, you know, 400 degrees Fahrenheit, 450 degrees Fahrenheit, are incredibly uh, damaging to the hair. Water is also just as damaging. Uh, to the hair but in a different way so really water versus heat are two different types of damage that you can't compare and hot water just can't get hot enough as a thermal iron
0: yeah it seems to me that if you're looking at the damage getting your hair wet will overall damage your hair like it's going to damage along the entire strand Whereas these styling devices are gonna damage more specifically in certain spots, like where the device is touching the hair. And ultimately those styling uh, damage is probably going to be worse for your hair because that's where you're gonna have split ends and things. Uh, both of them can be bad, I suppose.
1: Yeah, I think, I think by nature, uh, the thermal tools are definitely uh, worse for the hair than just natural water exposure from bathing and stuff like that.
0: Thanks for that question.
1: What do we have next?
0: Next up, we have an audio question. This one comes to us from Paula. Ooh, thanks, Paula.
1: Hi, Beauty Brains. My name is Paula, and I'm from Rochester, Michigan. My question today is on the Skin Medica line of products, particularly the TNS Essential Serum and the Recovery Complex. I am wondering if these products actually do what they claim On the TNS Essential Serum in particular, it says that it can strengthen sagging skin through antioxidants and peptides, and there's also some mention of a growth factor in the product. I am just wondering if this product is worth the money. It It is very expensive, and I'm just wondering if those ingredients actually do what they claim. Thank you.
0: Wow. $281 $281 for one ounce of product. That's how much this Skin Medica TNS Essential Serum is, which I think is amazing and makes me wonder, how much do you think they really sell? I'm just blown away by a product that costs that much.
1: Oh, my gosh. You know, that's even out of my price range. <laughs> like, usually for products expensive, I'm curious. This, like, exceeds curiosity
0: and that's only for one ounce of product which was interesting all right well let's let's look at the uh let's look at whether it's worth the money um of course i'm cheap so i my initial answer is just no it's not but, but let's look at it more more logically and more critically well first you we want to look at the claims and And then we can look at the ingredients that they use to support the claims. The first thing that they show are before and after pictures. I went to their website. I'll put a link in the show notes for that. But the first thing that you see for this product is before and after pictures of people who have used the products for 12 weeks. 12 weeks, let's think that's three months. Keep that in mind. And I have to say, even though I'm not a fan of before and after pictures because they're so easy to manipulate... I was still really not impressed with the pictures that they did show. They actually did a pretty good job of making the before and after have the same lighting and the same positioning, so that worked pretty well. But when you compare the before and after pictures, they like I don't really notice any difference. So if there is a difference, boy, it sure is subtle after 12 weeks of using this. You would think their marketers would have tried to make it look a little bit more impressive. It wasn't impressive, at least to me.
1: Well, question. So 12 weeks is what the claims and studies were done. So let's say it was beneficial. I don't think one ounce of a serum is going to last you 12 weeks. So it's not like, Oh, look at these amazing results after 12 weeks. Wait, you probably had to buy three or four of those products to endure that time, if that. And so you're looking at a thousand bucks for 12 weeks. That's kind of a lot of money.
0: Yeah, that, that is an excellent point. Roughly about one ounce lasts you about a month uh, in the skincare world, uh, like the treatment like this. And so, yeah, that's one month of product, and they're showing you results from three months of using it. So it was just crazy. Um, you look at the, the wrinkle reduction, certainly doesn't look that significant to me. On the next, uh, okay, next after that, uh, before and after pictures, they then have the claim that 92% of users rated their skin more youthful looking. I mean, if you had just spent $300 on one ounce of product, you certainly are going to look for any improvement that you could see, right? Well, not
1: just that, but I would definitely say I had improvement, so I wouldn't be embarrassed.
0: <laughs> right. People would rather report improvements than admit that they were suckered out of that much money, right? <laughs> I mean, that is something to keep in mind. Whenever you see people reporting great results from really super expensive products, it's really hard to admit that you've been duped by a product, and so it's a lot easier to say, oh, yeah, I see some great, great effects. All right, so on to the main uh, claims. One of them, the claims is that it reduces the appearance of fine lines and wrinkles. Have you ever heard that before, Valerie?
1: Oh, only like a trillion
0: times. I know, this isn't even a special claim. It's just, it's the one that, you know, much less expensive products are making this one. In fact, every anti-aging product claims that it's going to reduce the appearance of fine lines and wrinkles. You certainly don't need to spend $300 to $1,000 to get that effect. Uh, Another claim that they had is that it enhances skin texture and it enhances skin tone. Well, these claims don't really mean anything in particular, any product could claim that it enhances skin texture and tone because the word enhance is one of those wiggly weasel words where it sounds like they're saying something specific, but they're not really saying anything specific at all. I mean, what do they mean by enhance? Is it the same thing that you think enhance means? You know, this is clearly a case of what we call claims puffery. Next, they have a combination of the renowned growth factor formula which includes a recovery complex in one chamber and a corrective complex in the other. This is just a description of the product, so there's no benefit claim here. You know They're relying on you to make up what you think the benefits are, uh, but they don't actually say anything about the products. And then they have the ingredients. Now, they've got a ton of ingredients there. I'll, I can provide a link to the, or a listing of their ingredient list. Now I'm not sure they're following the INCI guidelines because the first ingredient they have is human fibroblast conditioned media and this is certainly <laughs> certainly not an INCI dictionary ingredient name, right? Yeah,
1: what's that? Like are they, are Actually, they allowed I it to up. do it's that? <laughs> I mean, yeah.
0: Ugh. Well, they are a pharmaceutical company, so I don't know, I guess. So after that, it's pretty standard ingredients. They have water, glycerin, shea butter, dimethicone, xanthan gum, polymer thickeners. I mean, Plus, they have a lot of ingredients. I mean, this ingredient list is just ridiculously long. What happened to minimalist formulating people? I do not know.
1: Yeah, well, I do want to point out that good for them, they actually did put the fragrance allergens on the ingredient listing, which some companies don't even do, which drives me really crazy. Allergens are so (laughs) important to disclose. It's an EU labeling requirement, but I do like that they did that even though they're a U.S. company. So I appreciate that about their ingredient listing.
0: Yeah, I think most big companies will do that. It's smaller companies that don't know to do that. They don't really have to do it, so they don't do it. Um, I'm going to point out that this product is from Allergan, uh, a pharmaceutical company. They're also famous for Latisse, the eyelash growing serum. Um, That means they've definitely done some testing for this product. And they've also written their claims so they can all be supported. Uh, you can tell just by reading these claims that they had to go through some uh, the regulatory department to get a sign off on all of those. And phrases like help support the skin or proven antioxidants are used to describe their active ingredients. They really don't have any strong claims. If you If you look at their website, there just aren't really any great strong claims. But as far as performance, I don't see any amazing benefits there either. You can spend your two hundred and eighty-one dollars uh for one ounce of product, but I doubt you're gonna see any benefit that you would get you would get over just use it buying a like a twenty-five dollar tub of Olay Regenerist.
1: We're not affiliated with Olay Regenerist, but uh we're we're just trying to say that basically you could go to the drugstore and buy I mean, literally any product and probably get the same results from this.
0: Yeah. I mean Or, you know, if you try something at the drugstore and you don't get the same results, at least you've only spent 25 bucks. You haven't spent (laughs) a grand. Oh, my God.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, well, uh, Valerie, you had mentioned that the, the tests really represent three months of product buying, so that's more like over $800. So my advice is if you're going to spend that much money on facial cream, just save a little bit more money and you can get a facelift because yeah for $800 you, know
1: you could go to a medi spa and you could get a thermage treatment you could get fillers you could get laser regeneration all for around this kind of price there's so many things you could get i mean heck you could get two rounds of botox in your face for 800 bucks so whoa uh, and definitely see results there
0: all um, right shall we move on to the next question
1: All right. Ingredients by Louise shared a post with us via Instagram about a brand called Lavelle, which is basically the word level separated by a hyphen.
0: Oh, that's clever.
1: They are selling wearable nutrition as part of their Thrive product portfolio. The patches featuring derma fusion technology called DFT on their website promises that technology meets premium nutrition. The patches are essentially like nicotine patches, and they're placed on the arm to deliver over an extended period of time. Forsling, green coffee bean extract, garcinia cambogia, CoQ10, white willow bark, cosmopurine, limonene, aloe vera, and L-arginine, which is basically all the ingredients they've uh, listed on the product. The company claims that with Fusion 2.0 designed to provide greater bioavailability, absorption, and nutritional support, your results with DFT 2.0 should only get better. So I went through their website uh, just to look at this company. I'd seen a few people post on Facebook about this brand, and within... 4.2 4.2 seconds or maybe 2.0 seconds, 2.0 DFT technology. Uh, I knew that this was a multi-level marketing brand. And I, I went through, yeah, I went through all their stuff. It's cleverly designed. They use a lot of very exciting words, energizing words like, yeah, I am want to kick ass, like, you know, kind of words. Sure. And um, it's all about premium level, premium lifestyle, premium this, premium that. I mean, it's just like totally absurd. Um, so anyway, Uh, Let's talk about the ingredients that they have, because basically ingredients by Louise, uh, she just said, hey, like, is this viable? And we've talked about vitamins plenty of times before, like so many episodes I can't even list. And like, basically, unless you're deficient, it's a ripoff. So let's talk about what they have going on.
0: Oh, one of their products is enriched with CBD. Go figure. (laughs)
1: Yeah. So uh, they use uh, branded ingredient names, meaning they purchase these ingredients that have trade names from other companies and then advertise the benefits of these trade names um, in their products. So Forslane is an extract that's a relative to the mint family. It comes from a nutritional ingredient supplier, and it's considered to be a wild ancestor of all the tuber varieties. This is an extract uh, from The Roots, and they say, they being the manufacturer of Force lean, uh, that it promotes healthy inflammation response, eases pain, hemorrhoids, skin-related problems, urinary stuff, external ulcers, fluid retention, and sort of like kind of everything. Yeah. Um, they also, uh, in relationship to this extract, the manufacturer, Sabinsa, patented uh, the extract as a method for promoting lean body mass and separately patented uh, the extract as treating a mood disorder. So level or Lavelle or whatever, they're using this extract for, uh, weight loss. So, So also has cosmoprene, which was another ingredient. And this is an extract of black peppercorns. And they say that it acts as a penetration enhancer It increases bioavailability of other extracts. So that actually is true. Um, I used to work for this uh, medical doctor and she did a lot of research on nutritional supplements and a lot of people take uh, turmeric from curcumin and your body can only uptake so much. And so they've combined it with uh, this black peppercorn extract to increase the absorption in your intestines uh, of the uh, turmeric. So that actually is a true statement. and I, I think that's why they have it in there. And then we have green coffee bean and garcinia cambogia extracts. Those are also linked to weight loss. Co- uh, green coffee beans contain chlorogenic acid, which is purported to be a carbohydrate blocker. Aloe vera, like who wouldn't want that? That looks pretty good. Uh, they sure. was limonene. That's probably not a directly added ingredient. I'm imagining that's an allergen present in one of the extracts. One thing that we've touched upon a little bit in the show is that uh, allergens don't exist only in fragrances. Botanical extracts from plants also contain allergens. And only recently in legislation in Europe are at least the toxicologists I use. They say, hey, you need to do an allergen study on your botanical extract. I know it's not a fragrance, but we need to know what allergens are present in there. So I'm guessing that that's why they listed that. Yeah, probably. So knowing the patch has all the ingredients, will it help you? Experience and reach peak physical and mental levels.
0: <laughs> well, uh, wait, I'm guessing yes. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: I'm going to say probably unlikely. I, yeah, I, I don't mean to be rude, but just going through this site, it just felt like so testosterone fueled and like <laughs> I don't know. So, you didn't any- feel
0: leveled up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> We're awful. Oh my gosh, oh, okay. anyway. Honestly, it's probably unlikely. I was able to find, uh, I spent a lot of time looking through studies about dermal absorption in relationship to vitamins and, and other components. I found a lot of studies on some of these ingredients being uh, for wound healing and um, the research ultimately to show that your body through your skin topically actually absorbs these components.
0: Or at least some portion of it. Some portion
1: of it, it, yeah. And then it gets into your bloodstream and it goes to the rest of your body. The research just isn't there. And let's say we assume the ingredients can penetrate the skin. We don't really know what kind of levels... pun intended,
0: we we don't know what
1: levels are being used uh, to know (laughs) that, let's say, even if 100% of them were um, absorbed by the skin, can your body metabolize them and have any effect? At the end of the day, and going through all the claims, all the the language is very vague. They rely on studies associated with these ingredients, not that they've conducted, but that just are anecdotally there, or maybe, oh, there was a study in 1971 relating green coffee beans to whatever, um, but they themselves actually haven't provided concrete information or studies that they've conducted to prove that this patch or the mechanism that it works. And of course, they say that the patch promotes clean and healthy weight management when taken with the Thrive Premium Lifestyle capsules and the shake mix for eight whole weeks. So you have to do eight whole weeks uh for the patch to even work, but you also have to do it with these other components. Hmm. And then the thing that just gives me a clue that it's really just all marketing is that the language on the whole website is really quite sensational. They talk about their cloud technology, which basically means that they don't have any stores. And so therefore they don't have all this overhead that other brands have. I mean, it's just really all sensational and a lot of it just discusses technology that they don't even explain clearly But I can see if I were just a non-science consumer, I'd be like, wow, this stuff is so cool. I mean, how exciting is it to hear words like ultra premium results for a premium lifestyle fusion 2.0 technology that's reached (laughs) greater heights. Oh, by the way, their technology is premium grade. I mean, the word premium must be on their website a thousand times. So bottom line, I don't think there's any benefit to taking these, uh, taking these vitamins through topical patches. I don't even know that I would take them orally to have any benefit, uh, but, but that's not what the comment was about. It's a classic multi-level marketing company, gets you excited, gets you onboarded, makes you feel like part of a culture, and then probably will fizzle out.
0: All right, well, thanks for that. Valerie, I'm looking at time. It looks like we have time for only one more question. So why don't we move on to uh, the question uh, from about Drink Bona?
1: All right, One Drink Bona asks... I'm a hairdresser that loves listening to y'all. I have clients that always want to grow more hair or make their hair grow faster. Some have always had finer hair and some have gone through chemo. Is there a shampoo and conditioner or topical solution that actually does this? Is there one that is the best? Thank you so much.
0: Well, um, I'm always interested in these uh, hair growth things because I'm always reminded that the only approved item for hair regrowth in the United States is minoxidil. Uh, and it's always branded under the. Uh, it was branded for some time under the brand Rogaine. Rogaine although there is a, a pill, the Propecia pill that you can take, but that's not uh, a topical. Now there's a, a lot of brands that use the Medoxidil technology, uh, but so this could address hair growth in those that have fine or thinning hair and would like to grow more hair. And because hair loss is complex, it it doesn't work for everyone. In fact, medoxidil only works for about uh, two-thirds of the people who use it, like 67%. So a third of people who use it will get no effect. But I'm not sure how that affects hair growing faster.
1: Yeah, I don't think it does. So about your chemotherapy patients... If someone has gone through chemotherapy, the good news is that once the chemotherapy treatment stops, usually the hair immediately starts to grow again. So that's great news. The hair may come in a different texture than it was before. It could be frizzy. It could be curly if the hair was straight before. And this is because when the hair fell out completely of the follicle and the follicle stayed dormant for some time, the follicle actually collapses in shape and becomes a little bit elliptical. And as the hair, new hair grows through uh, the follicle, regains its shape as the hair pushes through. And it may normalize over time or the hair texture may permanently change. But the good news is the hair should grow back. If you have had chemotherapy, the most important thing you can do is to keep the scalp clean. And I would avoid using conditioners or styling products on the scalp. You wanna keep it free and clear. I would choose a really gentle shampoo. I have a dear friend that went through chemotherapy and she also mentioned to me at one point in time that she found that a warm compress on the scalp helped relieve uh, the itching that the skin had as as the hair was coming back through. So uh, you could also try that. If you do want your hair to grow faster, uh, I would not recommend using a hair regrower like Minoxidil without consulting your oncologist. Uh, Hair loss is complex for many reasons and chemotherapy is one reason that your hair falls out. And I am not sure that Minoxidil may resolve that mechanism as to why your hair fell out. And uh, because minoxidil is a drug, despite an over-the-counter drug, I I really would recommend consulting uh, your doctor before you start taking it.
0: Absolutely. Now, if your hair is slow growing or it seems slow growing to you, that could be due to some sort of vitamin deficiency, then maybe taking a multivitamin is going to help make your hair grow faster. But you know if you're not deficient in vitamins and your hair just grows at the rate that it grows taking more vitamins is not going to help your hair grow faster and you're just going to uh, dispel the uh, vitamins uh, mostly through your urine I guess right
1: yeah and two like I mean to me if you're not deficient you're just peeing them out Why, why make it harder for your kidneys you know just don't take them
0: That is a good point. All right. I know we promised that we were going to get to a bar shampoo question, but we're going to save that for next time. Thanks, everyone, for listening.
1: If you get a chance, go over to iTunes and leave us a review, preferably five stars and positive words. That will help other people find the show and ensure we have a full docket of beauty questions to answer.
0: And we mentioned our social media accounts. You can uh, get us on Instagram at thebeautybrains2018. On Twitter, we're at thebeautybrains, and we have a Facebook page. And, of course, Valerie has her own Instagram page, as she's always keeping up. And and Twitter is what you were mentioned earlier, right?
1: Yeah. You can also follow me there, cosmetic underscore chemist, and at the L.A. Hobo on Twitter.
0: I'm always so jealous that you somehow scored cosmetic underscore chemist. Nice job.
1: (laughs) It was good timing. It was good timing. Yeah,
0: it was. Hey, you know what? The Beauty Brains are also on Patreon. If you want to show support to the show, Patreon is the best way to do that. This will help keep the show ad-free and is the best way to keep financial bias out of the show. I know we mentioned Olay Regenerous, but P&G is not paying us to say that. Uh, So if you like (laughs) what we're doing and you want to see us keep doing it, go to Patreon. patreon.com slash thebeautybrains and subscribe
1: thanks again for listening everybody and remember be brainy about your beauty
0: thanks everyone kittens